Well, Thursday delivered a great appetizer, but Friday gave us the full meat and potatoes as we witnessed what is undoubtedly the biggest first-round upset in NCAA history. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a five, or in this case, seven days per week National College Hoop Show part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are your co-hosts. I'm Andy Patton. He's Isaac Shade, and we have an incredible show for you all today. The Big East had a phenomenal day. A few coaches might have new jobs coming up soon. We had plenty of exciting finishes on the Friday of March Madness, but Isaac, what else could we possibly lead with besides the Purdue Boilermakers going down the number one seed, losing to Fairleigh Dickinson? And look, this is the second time, of course, that we have seen a number one seed lose to a 16 seed. Nobody has forgotten about UMBC <laughs> and their victory over Virginia. It was a, it was a often discussed as recently as Thursday because of Virginia's loss to Furman. It's going to be discussed for a long time. But That's right. I got to tell you, this this takes the cake. This is a team that barely they really shouldn't have been in the NCAA tournament. That's not disrespectful. No, it's factual at all. It's just (laughs) actual. They shouldn't have even been there because they they didn't win the NEC, the conference they're in. They only got this bid because Merrimack, who won the NEC, was not eligible to be in the field of 68 because of some, quite honestly, old fashioned rules uh, that Division One NCAA has where they don't allow teams to compete for playoffs in their first couple of years of transitioning between D2 and D1. So that's why Fairleigh Dickinson is in the dance. And yet they go out and win 63 to 58. Isaac, I'd love to hear your initial reactions to this monumental upset. Well, I I think just even in what you're saying, like, let me just humanize it a little bit. I I was watching with my friend Joe just right uh, back behind me here. We're staying Mm -hmm. at his house. And uh, I looked at Joe and I said, you know, sometimes you don't realize a moment is historical Mm -hmm. or momentous until Mm -hmm. after it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. But I said, like, I can so clearly and vividly remember where I was and what I was doing when Virginia got upset Mm -hmm. and I said, you and I will remember sitting on these two couches for the rest of our lives. If this happens, like I said, that was like five minutes to go. Sure. And sure enough, like I will never forget that. And, and I think part of this becoming the most monumentous upset, everything you said, plus the fact that Fairleigh Dickinson was a play in, right? Like with UMBC, they were just slotted in as a 16 Mm -hmm. seed right into the field. Fairleigh Dickinson had to win earlier in the week to Mm -hmm. even get to this game. And so I I think that adds to it as well. So not only are they the second 16 seed to upset a one, they're the first play-in 16 seed to upset a one. And I think that sets it apart even more so. Now, as I watch this game, Andy, uh, like let me reference my friend Joe again. (laughs) One of the things he and I were saying was like the body language game. Yeah. Fairly Dickinson had the better body language yeah. the entire time. Purdue, and, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Purdue looked like they were playing scared. Like quite Just honestly, scared. like they looked, they were, they were not the aggressor. They look, I mean, and I, I always, I, I'm always apprehensive to, to, to analyze body language too much, but it was like apparent in this game that, that it looked like they were playing not to lose. And, and I understand the, the, the kind of inclination to play not to lose, in the final few minutes of a close game, but like they looked like that with 15 minutes left. Yes. Like they looked scared and kind of apprehensive and, and out of sorts and flustered and frustrated for huge chunks of this game. And, and it really bared out in the results. I mean, Zach Eady was awesome. 
And I think it's important to get that out of the way because I think people are going to look at him as the face of this team. They're going to remember Zach Eady was the superstar, the national player of the year on that Purdue team that lost in the first round. And that is going to kind of, those things are going to kind of get melded together where Zach Eady is going to be associated with losing to a 16 seed. And while he, he did, I mean, I'm not trying to take that say that that didn't happen. It was not in any way, shape or form his fault. He had 21 points on seven of 11 shooting. That is vintage Zach Eady. Like that's what he did all year. That's why he's going to take home that national player of the year trophy. The rest of his team shot less than 29% from the field. They were 12 for 42 outside of Zach Eady in this That's game. That's not cutting it. He, just, cut it. he didn't have any help. And, and a huge shout out to FDU for what they did defensively. That's they right. swarmed him. They knocked the ball out of his hands. They swarmed everybody else. I mean, they played a fantastic defensive game. Huge shout out to them. But at the end of the day, like a lot of what we have – our concerns about Purdue coming into this tournament to coming out of the, the regular season was, you know, is the guard play going to hold up? That's right. And uh, I mean, we, we have our answer quite honestly, <laughs> very starkly. So in the form of the, like here, when I look at Zach Eady's stat line, Andy, here's my biggest problem with it. 11 shot attempts. Yep. That's I don't know how many he made or how many points or rebounds he had. This is another, and that's not on him. This is another example of his teammates letting him down. Yep. That number for a 7-4 center mm-hmm. against the shortest Smallest team, team in Division One, he should, I, I, I'm not exaggerating, he should have had 20 or more field goal attempts. At least. Because you just throw it up and mm-hmm. let him do it. But yeah. Andy, in the final 13, what was it, 13-30 of this game, one, one shot attempt for Zach Eady. That is not what a number one seed does. And that's unfortunately though, what we expected them to do. Yeah. You and I always say, and, and not, not just you and I, mm-hmm. that guard play wins in March. Well, here's yeah. the flip side of it. Subpar guard play yeah. loses in March. And that's what we saw happen on Friday night. And it'll be interesting to see where, where Purdue kind of goes from here because Matt Painter's got some of these losses already on his resume. Like this is, this is happening. <sighs> Uh, they have now Matt Painter as the coach at Purdue, just in his career with the Boilermakers, has now lost to a 16 seed, a 15 seed, a 13 seed, a 12 seed, and an 11 seed. We had a somewhat similar conversation with Arizona, but we were talking more historically. <laughs> like we're talking about Matt Painter's career, and I think it's worth pointing out. And I've, I saw a lot of these tweets going on, like, "Look at all these teams Matt Painter's lost to in the tournament." I'm like, "Okay, yes." But also, Matt Painter has made the NCAA tournament in 14 out of 17 seasons. And I didn't go down the entire list, but there's a lot of Big Ten programs that would be pretty happy with having made the dance that many years uh, over the last 17 years. So there's obviously some some success that we're seeing from Painter, some high, some uh, really, really good seeds. Obviously, they've been a one seed. They've been a really high seed in a lot of the last couple of years. And he's doing it without getting a ton of high-level recruits. I mean, there's a reason that he was showing up on all these coach of the year lists earlier in the year, his ability to, to get guys who were non top 100 prospects, four stars, three stars in some cases, and turning them into viable, legitimate power five conference starters or starters on a team that was deservedly the number one ranked team in the country. Like they earned it when they were number one, but at some point, (laughs) at some point you need to be able to do more than that. And I don't know how much longer you give him. I certainly don't think that this is fireable by any stretch of the imagination, but Mm -hmm. you've got to start wondering because teams are going to get real tired of, Hey, we overperformed in the regular season and didn't do anything after that. That, that doesn't, you don't keep your job forever. Just doing that. 
No, unfortunately you don't. And Andy, I want, I want to go to one other humanity moment of this mm -hmm. whole thing is they kept showing Zach Eady's mom as mm -hmm. she's just watching her son lose this game. And mm -hmm. as a dad myself, it's just like breaking my heart little yeah. bits at a time. Like, obviously like it's as a non Purdue fan, as you know, somebody that covers college basketball, it's fun to see historic moments like this, but my heart broke with yeah. her just watching the anguish that she watched her son go through. And, and, it's as, as difficult as that is. It's those moments that the human story, the human yep. elements that make me love this game mm -hmm. so much. Well, Andy, let's move to the Big East where five Big East teams were in action on Friday, including UConn over Iona and Marquette, the number two seed, or excuse me, Providence mm -hmm. losing to Kentucky. These two results are going to have potentially massive implications for the coaching carousel moving forward. Why? Well, we're going to tell you about that in just a second. But first, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. The Built Bar March Madness Bracket is here. We know you've got a favorite Built or Puff, Built Bar or Puff, and now's your time to make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. Folks, you know I'm going to be voting for that churro bar because it's awesome. And if you want your favorite team to win, well, then you'll vote for that bar too. So support your team and support your bar or puff. And when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked on listeners will get a free box of built. Not only that, but one locked on fan will win a 12 month subscription to built to have built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You got to try built the best protein bar ever. They're so amazing. What makes it so? Well, for starters, they're all high in protein, but low in sugar and calories. Plus, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. So run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, so hop in and support your pick. Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. So Andy, as we said, five Big East teams were in action on Friday. And we've talked about the Big East a lot this year mm -hmm. on the show. And, and people often wonder like, hey, why? Because <laughs> it, 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 And, and I, I say that because in football, mm -hmm. it, it's the big five, right? Yeah. ACC, SEC, Big Ten, mm -hmm. Big 12, and Pac-12. Mm -hmm. But in basketball, folks, we talk about a big six that lumps mm -hmm. Big East onto that. And this is a great example of why Big East teams went a combined four and one on Friday. Yeah. Now, obviously, the caveat with March Madness is it's all about matchups and who you play and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But still. They went four and one, Andy. That that doesn't not matter. But mm -hmm. I actually want to start with the one loss the Big East <laughs> suffered, and that was at the hands of John Calipari's yeah. Kentucky team. This was a 61-53 game. Hilariously to me was what the defending national player of the year did, Oscar Shibway. This dude, 25 rebounds, but did not have a double-double. Finished two points shy, eight <laughs> points, 25 rebounds. But what I I, I bring it up and I... I make light of it, but I also mm -hmm. love it because yeah. Oscar Sheboy is the kind of player that doesn't have to drop 30 to mm -hmm. make a dynamic impact on a game. Like his ability to clean up the offensive glass and just grab everything in sight is insane to me. Um, and like in this game, he had 11 offensive rebounds. You remember I said he had eight points, more <laughs> offensive rebounds than points. Yeah. How on earth, but Andy, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Austin Reeves because <laughs> 
or excuse me, on Antonio. Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he plays for the Lakers now. Um, I just watched their highlights. I think that's why he's in my head. Antonio Reeves has now scored 20 or more points in three straight games, including yeah. 37 against Arkansas in the regular season finale. He's got 20 or more points in four of his last five. And, and I think he really right now, is the key to Kentucky's offensive game doing as much as it is? What What are your feelings on that? Yeah, I, I think that's that's basically true. I for Reeves here against against Providence, he had twenty two points, uh, five and nine from three. The rest of the team was zero of seven from three. He was literally the only player for John Calipari to make some outside shots. And I think the big story for Kentucky right now is is. The, the kind of the lack of depth. We haven't seen yeah. the depth really step up in a significant way. They've had some injuries, of course, of no severe Wheeler in this game. Could really, really use him. Uh, and for Reeves, he was kind of expected to be a bench guy, like a microwave scorer coming off the bench. Uh, maybe, quite honestly, fill kind of a similar role to what we're seeing from Serge Barry Rice at mm. Texas. Uh, and instead, Reeves has has been kind of asked to, to take on a much bigger role offensively. And some of that is just other players not stepping up into roles that maybe Calipari had envisioned for them. Of course, injuries are playing a factor as well, but Reeves has, has answered the call in a significant way. I mean, you, you mentioned his 30, it was a 38 points. Is that what you said he had? I think it was 37. It was more than 35. Yeah. More than 35 <laughs> points in that game, 22 here to, to help down the Friars uh, in a game where they, they really needed him. I mean, this was a pretty close game throughout. This is one of the best games that uh, Providence has played in a while and, and they kind of kept it pretty close, but, but Kentucky pulled away in part because of Reeves. And I think, does this team have the depth to make a legitimate like Elite Eight Final Four run? I'm not super confident in that. The bench had literally zero points in this game, like we mentioned. But if Reeves is going to keep playing like this, then I think that this team, the, the ceiling is definitely higher for this team when he's playing like that. And another thing that they did well that could help that ceiling is they shut down Bryce Hopkins, who had been uh, yeah. at Kentucky and transferred mm-hmm. to Providence, averaging like 16.1 this year. Kentucky held him to seven on like two of nine shooting. And like, if you're going to be able to do that to a team's yeah. best score, you're going to be in a good place. But Andy, we're talking big East here. So let's flip to the Providence side of it where we must have this wonderment. Was this the last time we see Ed Cooley patrolling the sidelines for Providence? Well, he was asked that question uh, after the game a handful of times, and he kind of he tried to push it aside. I think he said next question the first time it got brought up, and somebody rephrased the question. And I appreciated that he acknowledged, like, "Hey, look, I know you guys are trying to do your jobs because the reporters are trying to do their jobs. They, this is obviously a question that's on the minds of, of fans and, and everybody out there." And he basically said, "I want to make this about the players. I want to make this about uh, this team and this group, and I don't really want to focus on that stuff." which is a, a very classic coach answer and probably means that he's leaving, but I don't, I have no sourced information here. It's just, it's been the feeling for a while. Georgetown is obviously interested and, and we'll talk about another potential coaching change happening in the big East. And, and that one involves Rick Pitino. As many of you have heard those rumors, certainly I, I think there might be a bit of a, a waiting game of like, when are the dominoes going to fall here? If Patino goes to St. John's, does that mean that Georgetown hyper focuses on Cooley does that change their conversation are there other schools you know that, that might be interested in Cooley as well that, that maybe we haven't heard about necessarily mm-hmm. is he just super locked into Providence and he's just you know not necessarily being willing to immediately commit to that there's a lot of different factors here that, that we don't have a full answer on at this point as we're recording this late Friday night that could change sometimes these coaching carousel moves happen quite quickly after the season so it's possible that this thing gets wrapped up fairly soon but my guess is that, yes, Ed Cooley has coached his final game at Providence, but 
Yeah, I've I've been wrong about that kind of stuff before, sure. so I suppose we will see see what happens there. And I would think for me right now with the information that we do have, I think Patino will be the first domino to fall. Mm -hmm. I think we see him to St. John's pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because UConn knocked off his Iona Gales. You like that little transition? What up, everybody? Uh, 87 to 63 on Friday. And Andy, the story of the game is the big man in the middle, Adama Sinogo with his double-double. I mean, in the second half alone, had 20 and 10. He finishes for the game total 28 points, 13 rebounds on 13 of 17 shooting. I mean, it's just insane. He hit a three. And then Donovan Klingon, his backup, almost had a double-double of his own as a backup, 12 Mm -hmm. and 9. And so for UConn, I know there's a lot of pieces that really help Dan Hurley's team go Dan Hurley, who will be consoling Bobby Hurley tonight, by the way. Yikes, a rough night in the Hurley house. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, what what does UConn have in the middle with these guys, and can they continue to lean and rely on them? Yeah, I think, I think UConn's depth in the front court tremendously helps them with the seed that they have, or with the region that they have, I should say. Because Kansas, Kansas isn't necessarily a team that beats you with size. They have they have bigger players at the positions that they play. Like Jalen Wilson is big for his position. Grady Dick is big for his position. Kevin McCullough is like a very big, strong dude. But like they don't have AJ a ton Adams of, is not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't have a ton of size in the actual front court. That's right. And and as much as we can say, well, how does UConn match up with Kansas? How's UConn going to stop so and so and so and so? Somebody on Kansas is going to have to figure out how to stop Adama Sonogo. And I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. And if yeah. they can, if they can somehow figure out a way to neutralize him, can they also do it with Donovan Klingon? Because, the, I mean, having two guys like that is really, really tough. We talk about guard play mattering a lot. And, of course, we've, we hyped up Arizona's two bigs, and that did not help them against Princeton. So it doesn't <laughs> always matter. UConn is more balanced. They do have better guard play. I think the overall package here helps them a lot. And if they can get by Kansas, I, I've been – I've been hyping up Gonzaga a lot, and I know you have as well as being the potential team that comes out of that region, and, and they looked very solid in their game against Grand Canyon. And you look at a Gonzaga matchup against TCU, where I think they they match up well because of a size disadvantage for the Horned Frogs. You look at a matchup and missing against, Eddie Lampkin, of course, missing Eddie Lampkin. Yeah, you look at a matchup for Gonzaga against UCLA, and you can see okay, UCLA doesn't have a ton of size either. But what if Gonzaga plays UConn? Like if, if that's the matchup they get, I'd love that. Like I'd that's a, that, that. Hey, what a fun game that that would be. Absolutely. But also like there's a team that can say, look, we can throw bodies at Drew Timmy. And, and there's, there are like three or four teams in the country that can capably say, we have the size and the strength in the front court to capably stop your mm-hmm. guy and make it really hard on you to stop our guys. And UConn's one of those teams. And so I'm looking at, at the region that they're in and, and the way that they played in this game and thinking, there's a really good chance that they're the team that comes all the way out of this because they have, I mean, especially when these two, I mean, Adama Sonogo is probably not going to have a 2010 double-double in the second half of too many more basketball games. That is ludicrous production from him, but he's capable of doing this. And there's not a lot of people out there that can, that I think can reliably stop him. And I think there's a very good chance that this team's making a deep run the way that they looked against the Gales. Yeah. And I, and I think if Kansas and UConn do both move on to, to the second weekend, I think we'd probably see a little more earnest due day than we typically do yeah, from Bill Self's club to kind of try to offset some of that size in the middle. So Andy, I know we got to keep moving on. We do have those three other big East victories, Xavier over Kennesaw state, 72, 67. That one was, pretty close yeah too much uh from um uh, xavier just pulling mm-hmm. ahead in yeah. the end there creighton over nc state 72 to 63 
career high 31 for Ryan Cogburn. Yeah, just monster ridiculous game, stuff there. And then Marquette over Vermont 78 61. Uh, kind of nondescript games in some ways, other than the fact that Xavier almost became uh, another one of those upsets. Um, Creighton, I thought did a really nice job against a, a tough and real like Terquavion Smith tried to take that team on his back and run for a while there. Mm-hmm. He also had a 30 point game 32. In fact, he had more than Kalkbrenner, but um, Creighton just too much in the end. Baylor Shireman did had some nice plays. And so uh, really interested to see what the big East continues to do in this tournament. Oh, shout out real quick to a fun matchup that's coming up the pipeline because Sean Miller and Xavier advanced. They get to play Pitt and Mm -hmm. Sean Miller famously played at Pitt. So it'll be kind of fun to to get an opportunity to see that kind of matchup come together. We talked a little bit about Rick Pitino. I'll just throw this out there. The rumors are that the St. John's deal is getting finalized and it's like could happen very soon. That is a rumor. It is not confirmed. People who have said it are people who I believe are plugged in. I think John Fanta is the first person to tweet that it was getting, that they're like working on it. Patino's quotes after the game, he had a weird comment of like, uh, I've, you know, I haven't been to St. John's in a long time. Like when you're, when you're moving somewhere new, you want to see the garage and you want to see the yard. And I, I'm not sure exactly what he was referencing. there. <laughs> I think he's just trying to say that he wants to do more research <laughs> before he makes his move. I have a hard time imagining that St. John's isn't going to be able to throw enough money and resources at him for him to take that job. Uh, and I think that that's, I think that there's a real chance that quite honestly, before the sweet 16 games start, we might have an announcement that Rick Pitino is coaching at St. John's. I think it could happen as, as quickly as that. That timeline makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Well, as if Purdue losing was not enough, we had a lot of other really exciting games, Isaac, that happened on Friday. A lot of them happened at the very end of the day. So yeah. those of you who maybe didn't make it out to the last few games. We're going to kind of break down those final games here to close out the show. But first, today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. The NCAA tournament is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. So many fantastic games coming up on Saturday and Sunday for you to check out the money lines and the overall spreads for those games. Plus, FanDuel will even let you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, Isaac, a couple more really big games that we wanted to cover on Saturday or on Friday, excuse me, that, that kind of, ha- again, a lot of them happened towards the end of the day. This was one of the earlier ones, middle of the day, I suppose. It's like they all blend together. It's hard to keep track <laughs> of when all of the games were. But uh, Miami, the Hurricanes, come from behind and defeat Drake. And look, Isaac, we hyped up 12-5 upsets. We talked about how, what, 12 of the last 14 NCAA tournaments have had a 12-5 upset. We we. We banged the drum for 12-5 upsets, and guess what? (laughs) We didn't get a 12-5 upset this year. (laughs) None of them. Oral Roberts did not win. Charleston did not win. VCU did not beat St. Mary's. And then, even though Drake led for a huge chunk of the game, in fact, Drake had a 90% win probability. With five minutes left, 90% win probability for Drake. They blow the game. Miami comes back and wins. The Canes are advancing. What do you think about this game? Oh, man. I mean, 
it, it was enough. Like I was having to do some interviews after mm-hmm. the game. And so I was going to be interviewing the locked on Canes host, Alex Dono shout outs to Dono. What a great guy he is. Does such a good job over there, but mm-hmm. I had already started preparing my script with basically like, all right, let's unpack this loss, you know, whatever. <laughs> and had to, had to kind of change it because Miami's down eight with four and a half minutes to go. And then they closed the game on a 16 to one run. And, Listen, I, I know Nigel Pack is going to be the story because he is the leading scorer. But I want to talk about Norchad Omir, yeah. who is a guy that we've, we've talked quite a bit about on the mm-hmm. show this week and how important he is to this team. In fact, when I was talking with Alex Dono on, on Friday night, he called him indispensable. Mm-hmm. Not not Wong, not Pack, not yeah. Jordan Miller. Yeah. It's Norchad Omir. And so this guy, you know, we've been wondering after that, that ankle injury he suffered in the ACC semifinals, would he be able to play? Uh, yeah, sure 12 did. points, 14, do- 14 rebound, double, double. So boy, yeah. did he play. And if they can get that kind of, um, output from him, that's great. And yeah. I cannot wait because as we know, Indiana ended up winning mm-hmm. over Kent state. And so now, uh, if my bracket thinking is correct, <laughs> we're going to get a matchup of yeah. Norchad O'Meara and Trace Jackson Davis yeah. on Sunday. And that's awesome. Yeah. That is such a fun matchup. And people just don't realize, like I, I watched pretty up close and personal uh, Armando Baycott from North Carolina go up against North Chad O'Meara. And I was like, oh, this is, Baycott's going to have his way with this dude. He's like six, seven. Yeah. That man is an incredible <laughs> yeah. rebounder inside. He just knows how to use his body well. So don't look at his lack of interior height and, and be deceived. But of course, Andy, we do have to talk about that backcourt. Nigel Pack is fantastic had a great game wooga poplar uh, one of the best names in college basketball had 15 but the the issue for miami on the in this game and part of the reason why they struggled so much was that jordan miller who is one of the most unsung heroes of college basketball this season he is an absolute stud and uh isaiah wong i always want to say colton wong he's the (laughs) baseball player isaiah wong were a combined three of 17 and listen against indiana with yeah. the trace and ratio that ain't yeah. going to do it on, on Sunday. And so um, I, I love this Miami team. I have them in the elite eight, mm-hmm. um, but uh, their, their performance that they had on Friday, that it, that won't cut it on Sunday. Yeah. A lot of fun four or five matchups that we're going to get here as much as I love the upsets. Like, I think that Duke and Tennessee is going to be a very fun yes. game. We're going to see that on Saturday. I think Miami, Indiana is an extremely fun <laughs> game that we're going to get uh, on Sunday. I'm, UConn and SMC is an interesting game. Yeah. I, I, I worry about St. Mary's ability to to handle that front court for UConn, <laughs> but that should be a pretty fun one as well. So we got some some kind of fun. As much as we didn't get some of those upsets in that area that we normally do, we got some fun games uh, that we're going to get to see over the weekend. Uh, speaking of fun games, what a transition there, right? Uh, Florida it. Atlantic and Memphis. These two teams were playing for the opportunity to play Fairleigh Dickinson to move <laughs> to the Sweet 16. This, I mean, I, I'm curious, and I don't know if any reporters asked about this, and I also don't know how these players would answer that, but like, I'm curious if it changes the stakes a little bit when you know, hey, we're playing a game and we're not going to play Purdue if we win this game. You know, we're going to play a 16 seed. Of course, you know, it's a 16 seed that, beat Purdue so you can't feel great about it necessarily but I do wonder if that almost like makes you feel a little bit more pressure or a little bit more like we have to win this game I'm just curious from the mental perspective there but what ended up happening here is that Florida Atlantic escaped (laughs) it was a it neither team really wanted to win this one quite honestly at the very end uh the the kind of the way that this thing shook down is Memphis had the ball uh they weren't getting fouled they had a one-point lead they had 11 seconds left 
and Florida Atlantic was playing defense. They were just, they weren't fouling, just playing as tight defense as they could. And Memphis folded under the pressure, turned the basketball over with 11 seconds left. FAU dribbled directly into traffic and then got a tie up. I don't know why they had done the same thing on the possession before. I don't know what we're doing here, but the tie up resulted in the ball staying with Florida Atlantic. Uh, Nicholas Boyd goes to the rim. Really nice play out of that timeout. Uh, Gets an easy lane with two and a half seconds left. Gives them a lead. That's it. Ball game goes to Florida Atlantic. Pretty ugly game offensively for both teams, but this is, I mean, this is huge for Florida Atlantic. They now get an opportunity to advance to the round of 32, play fairly Dickinson. One of those two teams, one of those two teams is going to the Sweet 16, and they're playing either Duke or Tennessee, two teams (laughs) that I think are probably licking their chops, but are both pretty vulnerable in their own right. Duke is playing some great basketball right now. Tennessee uh, has been inconsistent with the outside shooting and, of course, is missing star point guard Zakai Ziegler. So if Duke advances, they got to feel fairly good uh, because they're going to uh, be playing a team. Fairly? Fairly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, it's a, I mean, we, everybody said, oh, we'll, we'll be the team who gets St. Peter's. We're going to be fine. <laughs> St. Peter's beat a lot of teams. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It was a, an exciting game. Uh, there was some weird drama with Kendrick Davis towards the end of the game for Memphis yeah. and Penny Hardaway. He, he appeared to get hurt fairly significantly and then seemed okay. And then he was yelling at his teammates and there was like an altercation. And uh, it was a, a bizarre situation as we're recording this. I don't have a whole lot of more information, uh, unfortunately, about what happened there, but certainly a situation to monitor as, as uh, one of the best point guards in the country, quite honestly, and and a guy that uh, had a really good season and a really good game, and it was kind of an unfortunate way to see it end for him. I agree. And then Penny's chucking his water bottle halfway across <laughs> the court as the game ends, and understandably so. It was some, some weird stuff. It's a tough game. I, I don't think it's landed yet. I think it's up in the orbit somewhere <laughs> just floating around up there. But um, what I love is – I, like I, I really thought Memphis was going to win this game, but I love that for FAU because for some people, the only way to validate the season they had is if they win this game. And so from that standpoint, I really like it. Now, one other quick game, let's just mention TCU escapes mm-hmm. Arizona yeah. state. And yes, we use that word again, because Arizona mm-hmm. state was in control yeah. of this game and it really felt like they were going to win. But Jacoby Coles had a beautiful floater in the lane beautiful. to win uh, just as time ran out. I love it because it says so much to me about Mike miles who, you know, did Mike Miles things all game long. Mm-hmm. And then when Arizona State, I thought wisely double teamed him on that last possession. He was comfortable enough to kick to yep. his teammate who finished the game and won and just really no time for Memphis to get off a good look in the end. But here's here's the thing from it, Andy. The Pac-12 has lost Arizona. They've lost Arizona State and USC. Mm-hmm. There is only one Pac-12 team left in this tournament, and that is the UCLA Bruins, who could, you know, do a lot of damage. Right. But they're down to one, and yeah. so unless you count San Diego State, I guess <laughs> not yet. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> sorry, sorry there. I guess uh, even if you count San Diego State, you don't count UCLA anymore. So That's, yikes. Yeah, UCLA is uh, counted with the Big Ten number. So the Pac-12, <laughs> the only team they have left is <laughs> San Diego State. It was a rough Love time. That so. Um, anyway, yeah, just a, a rough one for Arizona State. You hate it because they had just blitzed Nevada in the play-in game and had control of this one and just couldn't finish it off. Yeah. So, um, But Andy, 
Now we turn the page to Saturday, and it's yeah. sad because instead of 16 games, we only got eight. But as you said, there's going to be some fun ones. You already mentioned Duke and Tennessee. That's 240 Eastern on CBS. Mm-hmm. Make sure you watch out for that. And then we got to look like the one I think you and I have been most intrigued by is happening right here in Birmingham, Alabama, where I'm sitting. Houston Cougars, the number one seed, second overall against Auburn. In Alabama, that's a night game. Can't wait for that. Primetime, yeah. 7 p.m. Eastern on TBS. Marcus Sasser in his groin and his nether regions. He has said he's going to play. Jamal Shedd in his knee. He said he's going to play. So uh, we'll, we'll have to watch on this, Andy. And, and anything else on any of these Saturday games before we wrap today? I think you covered all of it. I think the injury stuff with Houston is definitely the biggest storyline right now. Uh, a, a real opportunity for a nine seed to take down a one seed. And, and were that to happen, especially if Houston was not at 100%, it would be unfortunate. I mean, shout out to Auburn if they pull it off. Uh, not to take anything away from them, obviously. But uh, I'm hoping that those two teams can play at full strength or at least as close to full strength as possible because I think it could be a really, really exciting, fun matchup. But it would be unfortunate to see Houston have to go into that game without uh, either Shed or Sasser or both, uh, because I, that's a really, really fun team that I, I wish we had the opportunity to see advance further if they if they end up losing. Oh, man. Cannot wait to unpack all of that with you great folks who listen and tune in all the time. We continue to be overwhelmed by it. If you would, leave the show a review on Apple iTunes reviews or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. It helps so much. Smash the like button, subscribe to the show, and please don't forget to comment. As always, And even more so today, apologies to the lawyer family. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm sorry, Fletcher Lawyer. What a great season Purdue had. But seriously, apologies to the lawyer family. And until tomorrow, (laughs) peace.